with us today. Welcome to, what's the name of this church? Open Door Community Church? That's right. Okay. Yep. I think that uh, you're in the right place. You know what's funny is that I know it's been three and a half years since uh, the, the name change, and I was this close to saying the old name. Really? I, and I, I just stopped I for a second. I never say the old name. Uh, I've gotten much more used to the, I, I hardly ever think about it. It, it just feels stale or something. I don't know. And we changed it because it was, it's, because we're a new church in so many different ways. Yeah. 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 So. Anyway, that has nothing to do with much of anything, but I hope, I hope you had, you've had a great week. And uh, Brian and I, we were just actually chatting a moment ago, because uh, we oftentimes before the service, we'll sit down and we'll talk about the message. Yeah. So like five minutes of. Yeah. It just, he tells me kind of basically what it's about. I tell him why he's wrong and he changes the sermon <laughs> on the spot. That's <laughs> 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 just not true. Uh, we think we might start sharing that. Yeah. We thought about it. Yeah, we'll think about it some more. But you had a, a not a challenging week, but just kind of a, a different week this week. Yeah, it was weird. I was just th- at the beginning of the work week. I just didn't want to do anything. You ever have a day like that or a couple of days where you just like. Or six months. Yeah. No. But a couple of months, a couple of weeks this week, I, I just like at the end of the day. And I'm like, I did nothing today. And I, I feel might feel a little bit bad about it. But I just like, no. Yeah. Couldn't do it. And then, like, th- Wednesday or Thursday, I don't remember which, I was like, all oh, right, I'm ready to work again. And so, I don't know. It was a weird week. Yeah. Our week was a bit ch- strange as well because we, the whole week was a countdown to when Vanessa was going back to Texas. Mm-hmm. So, she flew on Friday. And so, Sam and I have spent a couple of days going, this is a little weird, right? Is this weird? I don't know. Uh, just kind of acclimating. We don't want to get too comfortable with it. But... Um, we do, it's just a, the presence around the house is different. It always is, yeah. Yeah, yeah. When, when, a, when a family member's not there, so. Yeah, yeah. it's a different system. So that's, that's been our week, and we yeah. had a couple of great things that happened this week. We had a, 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 a what did we call it, a trunk or treat, treat trail. We called it a treat trail. It was basically a reverse parade for where, where we, we, in our parking lot, we, we lined it with people who decorated their cars a little bit, and, ki- and kids just came through and, in their cars, and we gave them some candy. You know what it reminded me of? It reminded me of, of Halloween as a kid, when it was light and happy and not this dark, gruesome thing. It was just, you remember that? Yeah, when You're you, old you dressed up as a cowboy or... I yeah. Mean, I mean, yeah, or you, you, well, the Charlie Brown Christmas. You're the, the, the ghost with the sheet with like <laughs> 65 holes cut in it or whatever yeah so there was a lightness to it there was a lightness to it and everybody won the parents were happy the kids got a bunch of candy the people who were helping just loved it because they were like how can you not be happy about giving seeing little kids going candy especially when they're not coming home with you right right so it was really good we had at least 150 kids that we gave candy out to yesterday wow it was the only it was lined up so we had a really good time with that I, I wasn't there, and I, I, I wish that I hadn't been so busy that I could have been. Because it's just, it's like that those donut days where, what a great way to reach people. And uh, we need to figure out some way to give candy to the people that are, you know, listening in Texas or Iowa or whatever. Sure. Brian nods. Okay. All right. We're moving on. <laughs> um, I do have a quick announcement. I just want to talk about the next two weeks. Okay. That's okay. Go for it. Uh, so uh, Brian and family are uh, going on vacation for a couple of weeks. 
So actually, so next week is actually going to be a pre-recorded service. We won't be doing service here. Brian's actually going to pre-record his sermon. We're going to do that probably Saturday of next week, and then we'll uh, launch that on Sunday morning like we did earlier in the pandemic time. Uh, and then the following week, we'll have a guest pastor. We will do it uh, in person, just like we're doing it today. But with is it Ken? Yeah. Is Ken is going to be here? Great. Yeah. You so guys have all seen Ken before. Yeah, you'll recognize him. I just want to let folks know, uh, Jesse usually sends out the registration beforehand, uh, so that won't happen this coming week. I'm not actually sure how it'll happen the week after, so I'll have to talk to you about that. The other uh, other announcement is um, we're doing the prayer event next Saturday, yeah. um, and I really want to encourage you guys to, to pray. Come sign up for a time. We have a sheet out there. On, if you're online, let us know. We, you know, Jesse's made this incredible little packlet packet of what to pray, so that you will easily fill up 30 minutes of prayer. And it, this is the time to be praying for our country, to be praying for our communities. People are hurting. People are fearful. There's so much on the line right now. So pray, and you're going to do a, a worship time, yeah. I think. Yeah, so 10 o'clock in the morning, we'll do a, uh, I'll actually be here, and we'll, uh, I'm going to just do uh, a 30-minute worship time uh, that we're going to broadcast so that if you just want to wake up Saturday morning and have some time of worship, that will be available. And they could just play it while they're doing housework or yard work or... Yeah, you, you feel, feel like it? Yeah. I know there's people who do this. They'll, they'll just listen yeah, to I the know. sermon, the service while we're... This is a very friendly fly. So, I'm sorry. But I really want to encourage you to sign up. Sign up because uh, we have lots of slots available, some slots available. So, all right. Um, is that all of our announcements? I think so. Did we miss anything, Jesse? No. No, we're good. Okay. Sermon. We're going to be talking about Mark chapter 3. Yeah. If you want to turn your Bibles to that when we get to there. And uh, the title is, is Hard Heart. Or do you have a hard heart? And, and it's all about, you know, have you ever been to a place or a time where, where you were absolutely convinced that you're right about something, and then later on find that not only were you were wrong, you were morally wrong. You were absolutely, you were arguing for something that is actually 100% wrong. Have you ever had, has that ever happened to you? Ever happened to you? Yeah, I'm thinking of a very specific, well, I don't know about morally, but I'm thinking of a time where you were certainly, I was certain that something was absolutely true, and I carried it with me for months and months, and then I presented it to somebody who went, well, that's not actually true, and here's why, and I'm like, whatever, and then I looked it up, and I went, oh, yep, I'm, I'm wrong, and I've been, it's just interesting that I can think of things that my parents told me when I was eight that I just took as, that must be true, and I've never, like, looked it up. Yeah, and then I would look it up as an adult and go, my parents were wrong. And I, how many people have I been telling that are now completely off base? <laughs> we, ha we we came up, we found one just yesterday. Um, did you know, it is not illegal to not wear shoes when you drive. You can wear, you don't have to wear shoes and drive a car. I did not know that. The question is, wh why? Well, I always wear shoes, but there are some people in my family who never like to wear shoes. So they would prefer not to have to drive with shoes on. I'm just thinking about driving with a clutch and just all the things that you could get caught, like with your toes and stuff. Drive. Sorry, guys. We should probably get on with the service. Yeah, let's move we're on. Just yeah. That's the point of the service today. So let me pray for us. <laughs> Father God, help us to focus. 
because <laughs> we're just rambling today. Father, thank you so much that you love us. Thank you so much for this time. And I, I want to pray, Jesus, that you would help us to worship, open our eyes, to hear your voice, to worship you as you deserve, change our hearts, change our minds, that we might honor you. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's pray. Father, I pray that we are all malleable, that we are not, we, 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 we're not pots that are fully formed. We're, we're not baked in an oven and, and inflexible and just as we are until we aren't anymore, but that we are molded by your hands, that we are open to you changing us because you are ultimately always good. And if we respond to you, if we allow you to work in us, then we can be beautiful as a reflection of who you are. Father, thank you. Thank you for all you do for us. Thank you for your incredible power moving in this world. And we are reliant on it. In the name of your son, Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. If you'd like to turn your Bibles to Mark chapter 3. Mark 3. Um, so we, uh, we, as we began by talking about, it, you know, it's, it's amazing how you can get to a place in your life where you are absolutely convinced you're right about something and you're wrong. And uh, that's what we're going to have right here. So let me give you the setup, a little bit of setup here, um, verses 1 and 2, and then we're going to pop on all the way down to verse 6. Jesus went to the synagogue. And, and this, this follows right on the heels of the previous story where Jesus is walking around and, and, and they're, they're traveling and, the, and they're healing and, and they're eating the grain and it's a Sabbath day. Maybe they're even going to the Sabbath, to the synagogue, to... To worship in the previous story. It's possible. But either way, he goes there. And he, he went into the synagogue, and, and, and there's a man there with a deformed hand. He's shriveled up, something like that. Um, either way, he's not, he's not able to work. And since it was the Sabbath day, his enemies, and Jesus has a lot of them now, watched him closely. Why? Because to see if, the, if he would heal the man's hand. Because they had planned to accuse him of working on the Sabbath. And in the end, they get what they want. Verse 6, Pharisees go away, and they met with these, in your ver many of your versions are going to say they're Herodians. They're people who, who support Herod. Um, they don't really care about political issues, I mean, uh, p religious issues, but they very much do about political issues on how they're going to kill Jesus because they know they're going to need some political clout to make it happen. This is, this is the context. They went to church with an expressed purpose for a gotcha moment. They had already convicted Jesus at this point. This is, the, this is kind of the end of a series of, of, of stories, of encounters 
with them, beginning in chap- the beginning of chapter 2, where there's this rising tension between the Pharisees and the scribes and Jesus. He's been doing a series of things that they are not happy with, taking the position of God and forgiving people in the first one. Then, they, then he sits and he, and he talks and he hangs out with the undesirables, the sinners. He breaks the Sabbath by, 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 by eating, allowing these people to eat. He doesn't fast like everybody else. There's just this series of things that he's been doing, and they have, they, they've already convicted him. They're just simply looking for a charge to fit the conviction that they've already done. They've already, they've already convicted him. And so they, go to, they, they essentially go to church, not really to worship, but with an agenda. Is it a setup? Now, this, this particular story doesn't seem to indicate that it was, but we know from other stories and the rest of the Gospels, they do do setups. They do do circumstances where they'll put something in front of Jesus just to get him. But either way, they, they were there and they're, they're watching Jesus and they're watching this man to see if he would do it. to see if he would heal on a Sabbath day. And the question this whole thing is going to present for us is how do you get so hard-hearted that you can see Jesus healing, expecting him to heal. They expected him to heal. And yet, not be okay with that. How do, you, how do you get to the point where you, you can see him casting out demons, you see him healing all over the place, teaching amazing, and yet you will not listen to him? How do you get there? As Peter, after the resurrection, will say in, in chapter 2 of Acts, that, that Jesus did all these things that presented clear evidence, Acts chapter 2, verse 22, presents this, this, this idea that, that he was easily attested to. Everybody could see all that he did, and they just wouldn't believe it. How do you get there? How do you get to where, where you say something that's good, healing somebody, and you think it's a bad thing. How do you get there? How do you get to the point where you think something is good that is clearly bad? The plotting to kill somebody. But this is where we're at. Remember, we, we, we tend, tend to think, some of us, some of us uh, uh, Christians who know the Bible really well, that we just kind of automatically knee-jerk, put the Pharisees in, then, well, they're just bad people. Right? You need, to, you need to back off on that a little bit and, and, and appreciate that they're trying and believing with all their heart and soul and mind that they are doing God's work. They are right. They are morally right, they think. They're trying to protect their people from this crazy guy who's doing and saying all these things that's going to ruin everything, that's going to lead people away from God. They are... They're trying to honor God here. 
They believe they're morally right. And not a little bit. Because you, you need to get in the, he, in, in the head space of when you are where they are, you, you think you're right until the moment you realize you're not. It should disturb us, dear people, that there may be things that you think are absolutely not just right, but morally correct, that might even be morally, from God's perspective, evil. If that doesn't disturb you, it certainly disturbs me. Because that's where they're at. How is that possible? And what does God do with this? Well, let's look at what, how Jesus responds. Verse 3. Jesus says to the man with the deformed hand, Come, stand in front of everyone. Then he turned to his critics and he asked, Does the law permit good deeds on the Sabbath, or is it a day for doing evil? Is this the day to save life or to destroy it? But they wouldn't answer. So he looked around at them angrily, deeply saddened by their hard hearts, and he said to them, to the man, hold out your hand. So the man held out his hand, and it was restored. He reveals their hardness of heart. He questions them. He's, he doesn't avoid the issue, interestingly. He accelerates it. He brings it into the open. Did Jesus need to heal this guy? No. He could have waited after the Sabbath. Easily. Why not? Why not do that the next day? But he's sitting there in the, in the synagogue, and he's teaching, and he's doing all these things, and he sees them over there, and he's watching him, and he's watching this guy, and he's, he sees this dynamic. And he goes, come here. And he he puts the conflict center stage. Rather than avoiding their issue, which he could have done. No, no, no. He, had, he hits it straight head on. No attempt of privacy. No attempt of, of dodging this. He goes right to the issue. And provides this object lesson to reveal where their hearts are and where God's heart is. And he asked them a question, which, on a side note, God asks questions all the time. It's a way of revealing pe people's thinking. And this one is a doozy of a question. He says to the guy, come here, stretch out your hand, and heals it. And he, he comes, brings the guy up, and, and, and if I could fill in the dialogue a little bit, he's like looking at the, uh, at the the Pharisees and goes, you know what I'm going to do, don't you? You know exactly what I'm about to do. You know it. You've been waiting for me to do this. So let's get it on. Right here. Come here. You know I'm going to do it. But before I do, I have a question for you. And it's an obvious question. It's a really easy one. Softball league here. I, this is a slow pitch right over the plate. You can hit this one out of the park. It's easy. Let me ask you this. Is it okay to do good? Is it all right to do good? Is that an acceptable thing to God that you do something good? 
Or, or is, it, is it okay to do something bad? Can you, is, is doing a bad or hurting people, is that a good thing or a bad thing? Really easy. But they won't answer. It's a good thing. Is, it, is, is this a good thing, what I'm going to do? And for that, I, I want to I bring up, rem, remind you of the Sabbath rules, okay? Things like Leviticus 23 talks about this. Okay. Then Leviticus 23, you know, this is, there's multiple places where Jesus, where, where God tells them what they're supposed to do on the Sabbath, and here's one of them. That you have six days to do, to do your ordinary work, right? Doesn't mean you don't do anything on the, on the Sabbath day, but your normal work you don't do. On the seventh day, it's a day to rest. It's an official day to, to, to come together, to worship, to, to, to go to the synagogue, to go to the temple, and to worship God, right? This is what it's supposed to do, and you need to observe this. This is the rule. But the, the Pharisees added all these detailed rules on how, of what is ordinary work and what is not. And they got so detailed to saying how many stitches in a cloth is work and how many isn't. How many steps could you take in a day? And it's all because they're trying to honor this verse. They're, figuring, they're, they're trying to figure out exactly what God wants to do. And so they pile up all these regulations, all these rules. And by the way, rules, laws, never make people good. They just don't. They make good people just be good, but bad people will ignore the rules. <laughs> they just do. But even then, sometimes even good people can get sidetracked and start thinking about the rules instead of the whole point of it all, which is what they've missed. They've lost the point. And so Jesus is asking him the point. What's the point of these rules? Now, in, in the previous week, we talked about in verse two, chapter 2, verse 27, that the Sabbath is made for you. It is a blessing, and it is a larger point that what is the point of all of God's rules? Why does God give you rules, do's and don'ts? Is it just he's an arbitrary dictator that just wants you to, you know, eh, let's tell him to do this, <laughs> let's see what happens there. Is that what he does? No. He does them. All of his do's and don'ts are for your good. Genesis chapter 1 and 2, this original thing, putting in the context of chapter, uh, of, the, of the command of do not eat of the tree of good and evil, God is presented as this one who's constantly doing good. He saw that he made the heavens and the earth and he saw that it was good. He made the lights in the sky, and he saw that it was good. He divided the earth, and he made it was good. All these good, 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 good. And then when he finished everything, he said, and it was very good. And all of this was for your benefit. This is what good is. This is what God does. God does good all the time. All the time, God is good. And then he gives humanity a command. Don't do this. Why would he do that? For their good. And it's the exact issue that the serpent pinpoints. God is withholding something good from you. His command is not good for you. That's the serpent's basic argument. Don't obey God. 
because it's not good for you. It's the issue today. Why have a Sabbath? Because God wants to bless you. Why have a society based on truth? Because it's good for the society. Why all, any of the commands that God gives? Because it's good for you. For you. This is why God's what's good. And, this is, and, and, and the Pharisees are not going to, do not argue this point. Just like you probably aren't arguing this point. Of course God's laws are for good. This is a softball question. It's an easy one. They're not going to argue with this. Does God want you to do good? Well, yes. And maybe you are, you're like, well, yeah. But then why don't they answer? What? Why can't they answer? Now, the first half of this question is interesting. He says, is it, is, it, is it okay to do good on the Sabbath day? And then the second one is, or is it okay to do bad? The first one really has to do with the guy healing the guy. The second one is pinpointing what they're plotting in their hearts. Is it acceptable to, to kill on this day? To harm? Because that's what they're planning. That's the whole point of what they're doing. They're thinking about, I want to kill Jesus. And that's what, the, at, at the end in verse 6, it's not, the question is not, should we kill Jesus? It's, how do we get it done? This is why they need the Herodians. This is why they need the supporters of Herod. It's not that they don't, haven't already made the decision, but they need the political machinery to allow them to commit murder to execute Jesus. That's why they need them. They've already decided. And so Jesus is asking this question of, is it okay for you what you're planning? Is that a good thing? Is God, is God okay with this? What they've done is they have turned something that's good and have decided that that's evil, healing the man. And they've turned something bad, killing Jesus, and have decided that that's good. They're calling good evil and evil good. Because the point of the Sabbath day is to bless people. The point of the Sabbath day is to do good for people. Shouldn't we do that? Jesus is asking them. And I'm beating this up, but I, it's like, get where they're at. Why are they not answering? Because they don't like the answer. Because they know if they answer, they cannot do what they're going to do. Their heart is set. They won't take in any, any other information. Their heart is hard. Verse 5. He looked around at them, and he was deeply saddened. Why? Because of their hard heart. The heart in the Bible is this, the internal part of who you are that includes your mind, you, how, your thinking, but also what you want and your desires and your will. It's, 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 it's the inner piece of who you are. And they don't necessarily always parse out exactly what it is, but it's like your gut. 
they just don't want to do it. They do not want to admit this obvious question ruins everything they're thinking. And how does Jesus respond? First with anger, it says. And maybe that surprises you. But I want to start by uh, like reminding you who Jesus is. This is the Lord God Almighty. This is the one they came to worship that morning. This is the Lord of heaven and earth looked around at them angrily. This is the righteous judge of the living and the dead angry at them. This is this is this is God. God is angry at them. Because they're getting in the way. If they had their way, this man would not be blessed. This man would still be suffering. He's mad because they don't care about another person's suffering because of their own rules. They, again, they think they're right. This is why they're, he's upset. It, it, because of their own made-up, man-made rules that they, are, they, they put into place because they think that honors him, and in his name are going to, would, if they had their way, would stop this guy from being healed and would continue to suffer. That's what he's upset at. God's anger is always kindled at sin. It always is. That's a standard reaction in all of the Bible, Genesis, all the way through Revelation, that when people get in the way of him blessing people, of him doing good when they sin, his response is anger. Because it gets, it, it, it allows people to continue to be in misery. Healing this guy becomes a, is a moral imperative to Jesus. He needs to do this. Because why? Is it right for God to do good? Well, this is all God wants to ever do, is to do good. But not according to them. They're at 100% odds with the heart of God here. He's angry. And then he's grieving. He asks them, is it okay for God to do good for this man? Is it okay for God to restore him? And they're not going to answer because he's angry, but he also, he's grieving. Why do you think he's grieving? Why do you think he even brought this whole thing up? Remember I said a few minutes ago, he could have avoided this entire issue just by, by not having the man come up. But he puts it right straight center. Why would he do that? Because he loves them. Because these very people who want to kill him, he wants them to see their sin, that their thinking is wrong. He cares about them. He cares that, that, that they're just messed up in their head. And so he asks them this question that's incredibly penetrating. Is it good 
to do, is it God want you to do good? And isn't this obviously good? See your, your, your contradiction in your thinking here. His heart is breaking for theirs because theirs is not broken at all for the man's suffering. He's grieving because he knows that the result of this stubborn heart is going to be their condemnation. Romans 2, chapter 2, verse 5 says this kind of an idea. That because of, it's as if Jesus could be saying this to these guys, because of your stubborn, your refusal to turn from your sin, you're storing up judgment for yourself. The day of judgment where, where, where God's anger and wrath will be revealed to you is going to come. And he doesn't want them to have that. He has compassion on the man with the shriveled hand. And also for these people who, who are utterly, utterly opposed to him. And he's grieving their hearts. This is his response. This is Jesus' response, God's response, that whenever you sin, it's anger and it's grief. But thanks be to God that, that their response, which we've already looked at in verse 6, is to what? The plot to kill Jesus, which leads to what? The cross. Right? I have three, po three photos in my office. Maybe, maybe some of you have seen it. Three. One of them is an angry face, the second one is a grieving face, and the third is joy. It reminds me of God's response to sin and righteousness. See, what the cross tells you is that, that on the cross, all of God's anger at your sin was laid on Him. The anger for these guys, maybe weren't some of these people in the end Turn to Jesus after the resurrection, maybe before even. I don't know. We don't know that for sure. But now in Christ, all of that anger is gone. This is what, what the word propitiation, it's a big ugly word. We can see that in, in Romans chapter 3. We can see it in 1 John chapter 2. It's this idea, the idea that the cross, the blood of Jesus has removed the anger of God. And so what is left for you and Jesus is he does grieve when you do something wrong. Because you've missed the blessing. You're not in step with him. And he's sad because it's like, buddy, you did it wrong. And there's going to be some, some this time life consequences. My heart's breaking for you because you're going to, you know, it's not going to go well with you. Because remember, the way the world works is the way he's, his rules are set up. And if you break those rules, there are consequences. And so he's grieving. But this is, this, this is where we're going in this story, is to, do, to, to the cross. And so here, here's, my, here's my question at the end, and we'll just kind of wrap this up for you. Is what are you utterly convinced that you're right on that maybe you're not? What are you, what are you, what are you convinced is good, right, and acceptable? Maybe it's, a, maybe it's something that's a sinful action, but ultimately, uh, 
Actually, it's not a rule in the Bible. It's just, this is your application of a rule, but you've made it a sin when God's like, that's offense for you. That's not the actual sin itself. And maybe you're not wrong. But here, here, here's the challenge. Is if they can be, so can you. And it doesn't, and you might go, well, I'm a Christian, so that doesn't happen. We could go to chapter 10, uh, 9 of Acts, and Peter was in the same way. He was absolutely convinced he cannot go to the Gentiles, that he couldn't eat certain foods, even though Jesus had told him that multiple times. And he's like, no, Lord, I will not eat that. He was sure he's right, but he's wrong. You could be wrong. It should disturb you. You could be wrong. It's a call for humility today. It's a call to go, God, help me to be different Do you want to be a better Christian? Obviously you do. You want to be more like Jesus? Obviously you do, right? Then you have to change how you think. Romans chapter 2 says this. Romans chapter 2. Huh, I'll just quote it. Do not be conformed to the, to, the, to the, oh, to the customs of this world. Oh, wow, that is weird. That's a really weird, weird version. Do not, be, do not copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Well, yeah, that fits. That's, that's the point of it. You need, to, you need to change how you think. I memorized it differently. That's why it looks so weird. In order to be more godly, more like Christ, you need to change what you think, which is what their problem is. They're thinking wrongly. How do you change how you think? How do you get transformed in your thinking? 2 Corinthians chapter 3 tells us that how do we get transformed? All of us, it's, it's talking about this, this, this huge image about, about uh, uh, Moses and he's seeing God and he's being transformed by being in his presence. And, and here's the point here is that we are all being transformed into the image of Jesus by the power of the Spirit working in us. As we look at Jesus and the Spirit moves in us, we're transformed. We need God to change your thoughts, which is why I had that song, Change My Heart, O God. You, you need God to change your view. You need to think differently, and the only way to do that is for God to change you. And one of it is, is why you read the Bible, because this is the Spirit-written Word. This is how the Spirit works in your life. You read it, but it's not enough to just read it because the Pharisees read it too. You also need to do things like pray, God, help me to see differently. And for that, I think of Psalm 139. This is the prayer I want us to pray this week. Search me, God. 
Know my heart. Know my thoughts. Next verse. See if there's any grievous way in me and lead me, move me to the right way. Search me, God. Change my mind. If there's things the way I'm thinking that's not right, I need you to change me. That's what I need you to do today, this week. We all have something because none of us is enough like Jesus. And I, you know, I'm a person that sits up here every single week and I, I say every single, you know, my, my whole job is to tell you that this is what's right, this is what's not right. And yet, it's extremely humbling to stand here and go, what if I'm wrong? That's why I cover you guys praying for me that I speak God's words and not mine. We don't want to be on the wrong end of things. We want to act like Jesus. What, what are you wrong about? How do you think, how do you need to change how you think? Let's pray. Father God, you know, in, in our current age, there is so much surety of people being right about this issue or that issue. And it's not that, Lord Jesus, that there aren't right and wrong. I mean, even in the very question there, you're, you're, you're making the point that there's good stuff and there's bad. There's clearly an objective good and an objective evil. And the problem is, is our perspective and understanding of what it is, Jesus. And, and I got to be honest, Jesus, I, I often don't ask myself or pray for, this, for, the, for, the, for your, you to reveal where my thinking is wrong. Help me to help me to to hear your your probing questions in our in my heart. That you, Lord, would be better honored in my life. In Jesus' name, Amen. Any comments? Uh, several, but I'll just the, one of the things that popped into my head was the end justifies the means. Never. Right. It, it's that when you said, you might even be right. And, but you can have an immoral response to being correct. Oh, well, yeah, that's true. Um, and, uh, and that really, there, uh, there are certain aspects to what the Pharisees that were doing that, so, you know, maybe they were 80% correct. But it was that little bit where they said, but hey, we are so right that we have to do this. Yeah. That, uh, that, you know, that it, the tipping point is really that that subtlety that's insidious. It's, it's very insidious because yeah. you think you're right until you realize you're not. Yeah. And it's the, the other thing was is you may see this on social media sometimes. Somebody will make a statement and then they'll go, change my mind <laughs> or convince me I'm wrong. That's not the attitude, though. Because what you're really saying is, I am so conv I'm con so convinced that I'm right. I'm really not saying I'm open. Right. Maybe some people are. But you really have to challenge yourself. If you're going to throw something out there, convince me that I'm wrong, 
you have to listen. Yeah. Listening is hard. Right? Oh. Yeah. There's classes on listening. Oh. Yeah. Any other comments? No, that's enough. To kind of go back over this, because I feel like I'm, I'm really rambling today a little bit. Um, you know, it's w there's, there's two basic points for the day. One is the recognizing that we can be wrong. We, we could have be, be wrong. And, and I'm, I, I'm not a political person. I try not to be political. But let me say this much about it. it is, and it, I don't think this is going to be radical to say that on both sides of the aisle today, both sides thinks the other is, is not just wrong, morally wrong. They do. Um, and, and I think one of the things we need to do, well, first of all, one is, just like with the Pharisees, one really actually is right and one is actually wrong. But at least the Pharisees, we, we need to see that the Pharisees at least, they were trying to do the right thing. They were trying to protect their people from someone they thought was evil and bad. Maybe that's, why he, that's part of the reason why he's grieving is because he understood what they were trying to do. They were just wrong. Not just so they were completely wrong, they were morally wrong. And so we seeing seeing that I think will help. Do you have any comments on that? I hate to get political, but that's about as close as I'm going to get. Well, we talked about this just very briefly before the service. It's really it's really easy to make assumptions about where people are on a spectrum, right? And impose things on them. I I annoy everybody <laughs> because my goal is to be as moderate as possible. So, and it's really about recognizing that everybody has the opportunity to be wrong and that everybody has the opportunity to be right and nobody likes you when you're in the middle <laughs> but it's really a lot about being it's just we talk about this I'll just be very brief and I've talked to people about this too there are four ways to respond to something you know uh, in terms of doctrine I'll die over it I'll divide we'll divide as people over it we'll debate it and we'll discuss it and we have a tendency to take things that are maybe worth discussion or debate and make them into things that we divide or die over. We really have to figure out what's actually important, what God says is truly important, and not allow the inconsequential to become divisive. Is that fair? The other point, and we can go back <laughs> yeah. to communion, and I'm sorry I'm... I feel is, is, is for, the, for the day is that Jesus is pursuing people who are wrong, <laughs> who are wrong, who in fact hate him. And so that's why he's asking the question, and this is why he went to the cross, so that your, so your wrong thinking, your, 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 your idolatry, all the ways that we offend him and grieve his heart, all those sins would be paid for. So on the night that he was betrayed by a Judas who just, oh my gosh, he was wrong. Jesus went to, he said, this is my body given for you. And he went to the cross and, and all the anger of the Father was laid on him. All the righteous judgment for your sin, for my sin was laid on him. In the same way after supper, he said, this is the cup of the new covenant poured out for the forgiveness of sins. God pursued us who hate him, who murder him, 
who call evil good and good evil. Amazing. The grace. So all of you take and drink and be grateful that your Father loves you such. much for this today. Thank you so much that you've loved us. Father, help us to honor you with our hearts and our thinking, how we live our lives. Grant us the humility that we need. In Jesus' name, amen. Have a great week.